so proud of you. Alexa, thank you for that gracious introduction. Okay, uh, true confessions. Someone did die right after we did that. And so that was not my brightest moment. So if you join us at Winter Park this summer, we will be going on other adventures that don't involve as death-defying behavior, and I will be giving you many mom lectures about the dangers of Colorado. But I'm excited to be with you guys tonight. Um, God has this way about him that when we take a step of faith, even a small step, even for a weekend, even for 24 hours, and we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to take a step to pursue you and to see if you would show up. He has this way of coming through, doesn't he? He has this way of taking things like 24 hours and just messing with us in the best way possible. And my prayer for you guys has been that you would encounter him in a profound way. That for some of us, the Lord would completely change the trajectory of our lives. For some of us, he's going to tweak where we're headed. And uh, we're not done yet, like Ah had mentioned. Okay, my name is Megan Winters, and I am the Leadership Development Director here at H2O. And being part of this church and seeing God do miraculous things, things that we never expected and, to be honest, didn't really ask for, has been one of the greatest privileges of my life. But I nearly bailed before we even got started. So a little backstory, the church started over 10 years ago, and Kyle and I quickly decided we wanted to be part of the team to help start H2O. So we packed up our stuff after a year of planning and preparing and praying. We moved to Columbus, and we were the first on the ground. So we were the first to get to Columbus. We unpacked our stuff. It was the beginning of the summer. And then we were just waiting for the rest of the team to come. There wasn't much going on, and we got kind of bored. And so we were living in this tiny apartment, and we decided, man, maybe we should start looking at houses to buy. Nobody's here yet. Maybe we'll buy a house. And so we get a realtor. He starts taking us around. And we quickly, quickly realize that all the houses we like the most, we can't afford. And so then I start thinking, man, you know what the problem is? The problem is we don't make enough money. So if I quit working for the church and got a job where I made more money, then we could buy these nice houses and live in Columbus and have this house. But the whole reason we were in Columbus was to help start this church. And what started with laser clear vision and purpose quickly got confused. And I nearly gave it all up before we even started. And I am so grateful to the Lord that I didn't do that. But that can happen to us, right? That as believers, we catch this vision for our lives that Jesus Christ is the most beautiful person we've ever seen. And as we become Christians, we do that in a posture of complete dependence. And we say, God, my life is yours. Wherever you want to take me, whatever you want to do with me, and we offer ourselves to him. But then it's so easy to drift away from that and to get distracted, isn't it, by the cares of this world. You guys probably are already experiencing a laundry list of cares and concerns waiting for you. And so before we head back, Let's just take a step back tonight and remember once again who we are, right? Matthew talked last night about Jesus knows who we are, even when we don't, even when we forget why we're here, that he would call us to live above the noise, right? There's a noise and a rhythm of this world. You guys feel that? You guys feel the rhythm of this world, right? You're in school. You got to get good grades. You got to pass exams so that you can get good jobs and good spouses and good houses. That's the rhythm of this world. 
And Jesus is calling us above that and out of that. That there's something bigger and better for us to be living for, that we would live above the noise. And so that's our dream for this weekend, is that we would come back to who Jesus is and who we are as a result. So first, I just want to invite you to pray, and I'm going to pray for our time. So what I want to ask you to do, this is a little different, but would you just whisper right now, before your king and your God, just that you love him. Just tell him you love him and you want to live for him, and then I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we love you, and thank you that you loved us first. Would you help us hear from you this evening? Lord, I pray that you would speak, and I pray you would give us eyes to see you as you truly are. Amen. All right, so in the last 24 hours, we have heard about how Jesus loves us unto death and that he invites us into deep, intimate relationship with him, that we would live upward with the Lord and that we would walk humbly with our God. And not only that, that then he invites us into family, into vulnerable connection with one another where we would live inward, right? And you know where this is going. That's not it. There's more. God's love is not meant to terminate in us, right? Or to terminate here in this little room. It is to flow outward. God's movement is always to keep moving. And so we're going to spend some time in the book of Acts. Acts is like the sequel to the Gospels. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, are descriptions of Jesus' life and ministry, death and resurrection. And Acts is where we pick up, because that's not the end of the story, it's just the beginning. And so we're going to look at Acts 1, I think I have it. It says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So this is written by Luke. Luke was also the author of the Gospel of Luke. So this literally is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. So that's what he's talking about there in the first book. So in the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, I told you about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So listen, guys, the Gospels about Jesus' life and ministry is the beginning of what Jesus is doing and teaching. Isn't that wild? It's not the end. When you end with the Gospels and Jesus' death, that's not the end. It's just the beginning. So when Jesus died on the cross, he finished the work of paying for our sin, but he only began the work of having that message of reconciliation go to the entire world. And then it continues on. It says this. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and, spending, and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And it's this beautiful picture of Jesus meeting with them. So, so remember where we're at in this scene, right? This is the sequel to the Gospels. So in the Gospels, we're left with this. Jesus had uh, assembled this group of followers, and then in front of their very eyes, he was horrifically killed. 
and then they went into hiding, which was a very natural response, right? They were likely traumatized, they were fearful for their lives, and three days later, he appears to them, and they're totally freaked, he calls them to peace. And he doesn't just appear to them once and then ascend to heaven, right? He doesn't appear to them once, not even twice or three times, but for 40 days, he spends with them. And for those 40 days, he's doing two things. One, he's, it says, by many proofs, he's proving himself alive. So I don't know what that looked like, but that must have been wild. The other thing is he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. So the disciples go from being totally traumatized and demoralized, not knowing what to do next, to spending 40 days with their Savior, totally amazed. This must have been, like, the closest thing to heaven on earth, right? Um, so classes started 40 days ago, exactly, I think. So it would be as if, like in terms of the timing, as if Jesus died right before classes start, and then when the semester begins, he resurrects, and then he just hangs with us for the whole semester and proves over and over that he is who he says he is, and he's teaching about the kingdom. And it is in this context that this question makes sense, right? A lot of times we see the disciples as, uh, kind of slow to the punchline, and in this scene, it's easy to think the same, but it makes total sense. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I think this is a pretty natural question. He had been with them for 40 days teaching about the kingdom of God, and so they must have been thinking, man, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. Jesus is going to come in power, and he is going to reinstate his kingdom right now on this planet. And Jesus had something different in mind. He doesn't rebuke them. He just gently corrects them and corrects their thinking that the timing isn't for them to know. And that instead of him coming in power and reinstating his kingdom right then, this is what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this verse is the central verse for the entire book of Acts. The entire book of Acts really hinges on this statement. And not only that, but the early church. And not only that, but the church up until today. This is central for us. And so we're just going to camp out on here with our time tonight, okay? The first thing that we see here is that the kingdom of God advances by the power of the Spirit. The kingdom advances by the power of the Spirit. Now, God's kingdom is anywhere where Jesus reigns as king. And so we see this tension when Jesus speaks of the kingdom. It's, he talks about it as being here and being near and coming, and advancing, and being close. Because the kingdom is where Jesus is king. And this is where we find ourselves in the story, is that Jesus has died, he's resurrected, and he is calling people to his kingdom to love him. But his plan is not to come in power physically, but to come in power through his spiritual body, which is the church. So you guys know we just finished a series called Living Water at H2O where we talked about the Holy Spirit. 
And from that, we learned that everybody who's placed their faith in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ here tonight, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of you. But that's not just it. We are called to walk with him and to be filled by him. And this is an ongoing filling. And in this verse, we see that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be part of the kingdom advancing. So there's four parts, there's four elements to this that I want to draw out. The first is we need the power of the Holy Spirit to know God's love. Ephesians 3 says this. This is our uh, passage for the year, our theme passage. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And this is where it begins, you guys, for the kingdom to advance by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need power to know God's love, to really know it, not just intellectually, but to know it in a way that it transforms our lives. Do you know God's love in this way? Are you empowered in this way? The second thing is we need the power of the Holy Spirit to truly love people. If we really love people, we will care deeply for their spiritual state. We will be primarily concerned with where they are at in their relationship with the Lord because that's the most significant thing about us. Jesus in the Gospels, it describes him weeping over Jerusalem. Do we weep over the men and women who are lost in our lives? Do we weep over Ohio State? I want to weep. I want my heart to be broken. And I want that for you guys. It just, it takes power from the Holy Spirit. We can't possess that on our own. It just is not natural. And I want us to be willing to do whatever we can to help people grow in understanding the gospel and to respond in faith, whatever it takes. So some of you know I have two little kids, and last year McKenna was having some, McKenna, or some medical issues, and so her pediatrician sent us to Nationwide for some tests, and thankfully they came back negative, but uh, it was one of the most difficult parenting moments I've had. So we go to Nationwide, and the doctors explain that the tests are going to be very painful, and so they put McKenna on a table, and the doctor has some nurses hold her legs, and then he has me hold her shoulders and physically restrain her while he does these. And so I'm standing over the table, and we're looking at each other in the eyes, and she's crying in pain. And she asks, Mom, why are you letting them do this to me? And I look back at her, and I say, because I love you. And then she looks up, and she says, I hate you to me. And it was one of the most painful moments. And I knew that she was just saying that because she was in pain. But this is what love is, right? This is what real love does. If I said, oh, McKenna, you disagree with this, or this is uncomfortable for you, so we just won't do it, that's, that's not actually loving her, right? A real loving parent does the thing that hurts in the moment for their good because I care deeply for her best and well-being. So I'm not suggesting that we hold people down against their will and shove the gospel down their throat, but what I am suggesting is that this is what real love looks like. 
it looks like being willing to do whatever it takes for that person's good, and it takes the power of the Holy Spirit. The third thing is we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be courageous and bold in the gospel. I don't know about you guys or where you're at, but for me, I can honestly tell you that getting into a spiritual conversation with someone and then proceeding to share the gospel with someone is one of the most terrifying things that I do. It's never not scary. It's never not uncomfortable. And I'm a professional. I do this for a living. It's very scary. And we need courage and boldness from the Holy Spirit. Do you ask God, God, would you empower me? Paul, who wrote a good chunk in the New Testament, you know, he asked for prayer. He says, would you pray for me that I would have words to proclaim the gospel and that I would be bold and courageous in the gospel? And the last thing is, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be effective, don't we? Jesus tells us that apart from him, we can do nothing. And the reality is that, spiritually speaking, when people don't know Jesus, the way the Bible describes them is spiritually cut off from real life. They're spiritually dead. And we cannot call people to life in and of ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to bring people to life. So are you experiencing this power? Are you experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit? Because Christianity is not meant to just be an intellectual ascent, right? It is not meant to just be a, a series of facts that we believe. That yes, I believe the Bible's true and I believe the gospel is real. It is meant to be experienced. Are you experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you want to? Do you want to experience more of him and more power? I do. I want more. I want to see more. I want to see him do more on our campus. I want to see him do more in my family. I want to see him do more in me. Would you join me in crying out for that? That we would get on our knees and beg God, Lord, would you move in power? And if you want to be swept up into the adventure of your life, do this. I dare you to do this. Ask him to give you power to know God's love and to actually love people in such a risky and daring way that at times it will feel like jumping off a cliff. At times it will be the most terrifying thing you've done. Do it. It's, it's a wild ride. I've been trying to do this more in my life. So this summer, uh, I was at a coffee shop with a few gals that are here from H2O. And this gal, this lady walked in, and she was ordering her coffee. And I noticed just the way she was interacting with the employee, with the barista. And I had this thought. You ever have the thoughts like this where you're like, I should go encourage that woman? And then my next thought was, I don't think so. That is so awkward. I'm not doing that. And so I didn't. And then she came over and was standing closer to our table, waiting for her drink. And the thought just kept coming. It was not giving up. And I was not giving up either. I was like, there's no way I'm doing that. That's so awkward. Um, and so I didn't. She gets her drink. She walks out of the coffee shop. And as the door closed, I just thought, dang it. I need to go encourage her. And so I run out. Now I've made it super awkward. I <laughs> literally run down the sidewalk chasing her. I flag her down. She's kind of startled and probably thinks I'm attacking her. And... I hadn't really prepared what I was going to say, and so I just, you know, I just mentioned that I had noticed how she had interacted with the employee, and I tried to encourage her, and then I didn't have, like, an exit plan, so we just 
stood and stared at each other. Um, and then she began to cry and weep. And she shared some things from her life and then told me that she believed that God had me tell her that, that God was speaking through me. And then she gave me a really big hug. And I'll probably never see her again. But I don't, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to make of that. But I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to lead us and wants to empower us to do things that we can't explain. And not for our glory so people will look at us, but so people will see God, see Jesus for who he is. But we need to beg him for it. Revivals where, where thousands of people come to faith miraculously have historically begun with your demographic, with your age group, not mine. And they have historically begun with prayer and dependence on a movement of the Holy Spirit. So would you join us in praying that God would do something like this, where we would be empowered in a way that we can't explain and it kind of creeps us out, but where we can inexplicably say the Holy Spirit is doing something in us and among us. Some of us have been praying uh, every Tuesday and Thursday morning at 7 a.m. at the H2O building. And I know one of the teams is praying. They're way hardcore. They're praying five days a week at 7 a.m. Um, would you join us? Would you come and unite with us in prayer, begging the Holy Spirit to move? All right, let's look back at our verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the next thing I see here is that the kingdom advances by the power of the Spirit through the witness of the followers of Christ. And this is where we find ourselves, isn't it? In this story, Christ has died to redeem the world from sin and to bring them into relationship with him. But there is a spiritual enemy who has held captive men and women that we love and he has commissioned us as the church to be his witness that he would use us to set them free. So I brought a commercial from the 80s that kind of uh, depicts this. <laughs> That's a great shot. Okay, does anyone know that commercial? Apple? Genius, even in the 80s. Um, you guys, here's the picture, is that this isn't fantasy. This is real. This is our spiritual reality, that apart from Christ, men and women are deceived and lied to day and night, and they are being conformed to a pattern of this world that Christ wants to set them free from and break them out of. And he's the hero. 
if there's any confusion, right? He's the one who runs down the hallway and throws the hammer, but he does that through me and through you. This is what we're here for, and it is the greatest privilege of our lives. Listen to how scripture describes this scenario. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. And we have the privilege of being part of seeing them set free. Almost everyone is in this room because someone took a step of faith in your life to invite you to get to know Jesus. So there's two questions that come up that I want to hit on. The first is, who is this for? Who's invited into this adventure of being part of Jesus setting men and women free? And the answer is everyone. Everyone who's placed their faith in Christ. There is no spiritual resume you need. There's nothing you need to prove. If you have faith in Christ, you are qualified because Jesus says so and because he is qualified on our behalf. When the disciples were given this commission, they had very little to prove, right? In fact, up until that point, what they had demonstrated was basically a lack of faith and a lack of courage and a lack of boldness. And when the Holy Spirit empowers them, we see them do a 180, and they come out in total courage and complete faith, not perfectly. One pastor said it this way, never had a more important assignment been given to a less qualified group of people. Jesus is the one who qualifies us. The second question is, what will it cost me? Okay, if I want to be a witness of Jesus with my life and participate in his redemptive work in this world, what will it cost me? Just everything. Only everything. This is not a bait and switch. I want you to know it will cost you everything. It will cost you your reputation. It may cost you relationships, money, time. It will certainly cost you your comfort. It might even cost you your life. But he is worth it. If you give your life to Jesus and his mission, you will never regret it. But it will be costly. At the very least, you'll have awkward conversations, right? A couple weeks ago, I was at the pool with my kids. This lady started talking to us. And so we ended up getting into a spiritual conversation. And I got the chance to share the gospel with her. And eventually she became agitated, and we ended up leaving. And as we were leaving, she was talking to the other people at the pool, apologizing that they had to listen to that, um, which just honestly put a smile on my face that she was apologizing that they had to listen to the gospel. And my kids looked at me and just said, Mom, that was really awkward. And I was like, yeah, it, it really was, actually. Um, that's, that's a small price to pay, right? For some, uh, the cost is much greater. I have friends who have um, been disconnected from their families because of the gospel. And we have family everywhere who are giving their lives to do things like this right now, today. The word in that verse where it says witness, you will be my witnesses, the word in the Greek there is martis. And that's actually where we get the word for martyr. It's derived from the same word. And what's amazing is that the disciples lived up to it. So most of these disciples that originally when Jesus died went into hiding, almost all of them faced violent deaths for proclaiming the gospel. And it's not just back then that Christians gave their life for the gospel. It's happening right now. 
In fact, uh, there's a group of Christians right now in Egypt who have just been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize because of the way they're responding to persecution. They're being bombed and killed, and they're responding with love and joy and peace, and they might actually win the Nobel Peace Prize for it next week, which I think would be wild. This is what one of them said. We're used to this kind of violence here in Egypt. Every church in Egypt prepares for this. Everyone knows that sometime you will get bombed, you will be killed. So if you're a Christian like we are, but except if you're in Egypt, then our church would be preparing you for suffering unto death. And this isn't an attempt to have us feel guilty or to feel bad, to try to get us to share the gospel a little bit more. It is a call back to who we are. That this is our heritage, and this is what it is to be a follower of Christ. Second Corinthians says this way, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When we say we're a witness for Jesus or we're an ambassador for Jesus, I'm not talking about, hey, do a little bit more activity in your life. Could you do a little bit more evangelism? What I'm saying is, no, no, this is who you are, Christian. This is who we're called to be. And it is the greatest privilege. I don't want to give my life to anything less. I don't want to live a comfortable life and have a comfortable little family and try to keep my head down and not get into too much trouble and make it to the end thinking, okay, well, that, that was okay. I want to give everything, and I want the same for you guys. I want your life to count for the kingdom, not for your glory, not so that we could bring praise to you, but that so we could see God the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ active in your life and that men and women would fall in love with him because of your example and because of God's work through you. So Caitlin shared her story last night of placing her faith in Christ, and she mentioned Abby being an integral part of her journey. Well, I'm good friends with Abby, and for the last year, Abby has talked about Caitlin often, so I've gotten to hear about their friendship quite a bit. And you know what Abby never says? She never says, man, it's such a drag how much I've given to love Caitlin or to try to direct her to Jesus. Not, not ever, not anything close to that. She's been in awe of seeing God move in Caitlin's life in power in a way that no one could explain outside of the scriptures and knowing that the Holy Spirit is real. And she has been humbled and honored and grateful to be a part it is a joy, it is the joy of our lives that we could participate in God's work in someone else's life is, there's nothing like it. I'm not asking would you share the gospel a little bit more. I'm asking would you give your life? Would you give it all, everything? I don't care what job you get. I don't care where you live. I don't care how you spend your free time. But what I'm asking is, wherever he sends you, would you take the gospel with you? Would you be an ambassador there? Would you bring the light of the world? Not because you're great, but because our king is great. Because the kingdom advances by the power of the spirit through the witness of the followers of Christ. Okay, let's wrap up. Let's go back to our verse. But you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the last thing I see here is that the kingdom advances by the power of the Spirit through the followers of Christ to the whole world. To the whole world. It does not stop. He does not stop. The kingdom of God is a movement, and movements move, right? They go places. God's work in us doesn't stop with us. It doesn't stop at Ohio State. It means going. And this is why 20 friends would pack up and move to Bloomington and start a church somewhere else. And it means gospel goodbyes, and it's heartbreaking at times, but it is always connected with the deeper joy of knowing that one day we'll be reunited. I was on a retreat with um, a number of the leaders before the Bloomington group left, and almost everyone in the room just wept at their departure. And at the same time, we were amazed and grateful and joyful to be part of it. What an honor. I love that Samaria gets a shot out there. You guys remember Samaria? Um, remember the woman at the well that Jesus had to go to through Samaria? So Samaria was despised by the Jews. It was basically, uh, you know, the land you would never go to. And this is where Jesus sends them. This is what sends wolverines to Buckeyes. Um, God has a sense of humor. And so the next time you think, man, God could never reach that person or that group of people, he just wouldn't do it. Just look out, because that might be the next place he's going, and it just might be that he may be sending you. The last space mentioned is to the ends of the earth, and that's just what it sounds like. Every nook and cranny. The gospel is meant to penetrate every place, and we dream of every H2O student being part of an international mission trip, not just because we want you to be well-cultured, but because we dream of being a community that desires to take the gospel to every nook and cranny. But I love that he has them start where? He starts in Jerusalem. He has them wait in Jerusalem. He starts where they already are. And I'm not sure where you're going to land. Some of you are going to be thrown to the far ends of the earth, and some of you are going to stay in Columbus for the rest of your life. But I know that he wants to start where we are. Where are you now? Where are you planted now that God would have you be an ambassador and be a light? Okay, so what does it look like for us to be a witness practically? So this is a lifelong call, and this isn't uh, just a duty or an obligation, but it is a privilege and a joy. But what do we do? We want to just make it as clear as possible. It just starts with someone, right? It starts with someone that God has put in front of you and engaging them. And so we have a goal, and we've been praying that God would give every person at H2O who is a follower of Jesus, an opportunity to share the gospel with someone else this semester. And for some of you, you think, no problem, I've already done that three times. And some of you are totally freaked and not even sure where to start. But our dream is that wherever we are, we would take a step of faith, trusting that the Spirit of God is moving and wants to use us. And so here's what I want to ask for you. Would you join us? Would you commit to praying 
for God to give you an opportunity and give you the words and boldness to communicate the gospel to someone else. Knowing that it's his work, but that we would step out in faith. If you're in for that, I'm going to ask you to share that with your campus missionary on your team so that we can support you and we can pray for you and we can do that with you because as Vivek shared, we're not meant to do this alone. We are a family on mission together because the kingdom advances by the power of the spirit through the witness of the followers of Christ to the whole world. So with our last few minutes together, what I'm going to ask you to do is just bow your heads and I have a few questions that I just want you to pray about before the Lord. The first is this, would you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you empower me to know your love and to love people and to share the gospel with someone? Would you empower me? Next is, who would you have me reach out to? Here's the crazy thing is, if you pray that, God might put someone on your heart and on your mind, okay? So I just want to warn you ahead of time, if he doesn't, that's okay. We're trusting him. And lastly is, I just want you to share your heart with him, that you would say, here I am, send me. And if we do this together and we engage in this this semester, I can't wait to see what God would do in us and through us. So I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to give you a few time, a few minutes to just engage with the Lord and ask him to lead us. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you that you're here and that you're alive and that you are just beginning your work, Lord, that you haven't ended, you haven't stopped, you haven't ceased what you're doing and that you intend to use us, Lord. And I just ask you, would you empower me? Jesus, I'm just, I, I'm a little fearful, honestly, to even pray that prayer because I, I know that it's going to be uncomfortable and costly, but I just want to tell you I'm all in. Lord, would you empower me by the power of your spirit to be part of seeing your kingdom advance? Lord, I pray that for each of the saints here. Lord, everyone who loves you, would you empower them with the spirit to see the kingdom advance? Lord, would you put someone on our mind right now? Jesus, I pray that you would in our time. And would you give us courage to engage them spiritually? And we just together want to say, here we are, Lord. Would you send us? Lord, we tell you we love you. Thank you that you loved us first. Our lives are yours. Wherever you want to take us or send us, we want to be your witnesses. And we want to speak of the joy we have in you. And we pray for revival. Lord, I pray that you would bring thousands of students to authentic faith, to real life in you, knowing that we can't do that, but you can. Amen. All right, we're going to give you a few minutes.